Parking is an absolute nightmare around here, isn't it? I had to reverse into the tiniest of spaces. Still, I managed it. I mean, parking is not exactly brain surgery, is it? <laughs> and I should know. Why is that? Are you a doctor? Careful. Not a doctor. I'm a brain surgeon. Big difference. Big difference. So, uh, what do you guys do? I'm an accountant. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I could do with an accountant. Filling in those tax forms can get really confusing, can't it? Still, it's not exactly brain surgery, is it? I mean, brain surgery, believe me, is very complex. Lionel, here's your drink. Lionel's a brain surgeon, you know. <laughs> yeah, he mentioned it. Oh, Jeff, I keep you late at the Space Centre. As always. Have you met Lionel? No, hello, Lionel. So, Jeff, how do you earn a crust? Uh, oh, I'm a scientist. I, I work mainly with rockets. It's, it's, um, it's pretty tough work. Um, what do you do? Well, I don't mean to boast, but uh, I'm a brain surgeon. Brain surgery? <laughs> oh, exactly, rocket science. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for the FOMO Show on your platform of choice. As always, everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we chat about and timestamps for the relevant bits so you can always skip ahead and find it later. Firstly, a quick disclaimer. Uh, this podcast isn't investment or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything at all. So full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different shares, funds, cryptocurrencies, pyramid schemes, some of which we talk about on the show, but if we talk about an investment product or a scheme, it doesn't mean you should buy into it. So, do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and mostly avoid the fear of missing out. But come to my Tupperware party, please. <laughs> Classic. Classic, classic scam. Oh, so this episode, we're going to be covering all sorts of things. Uh, we're going to be talking about Goldman Sachs and their... Uh, Almost counterpoint to Paul Tudor Jones' article we had last week. Yeah, so they trash Bitcoin a little bit, but we're also talking about how the big consulting firms are gearing up for blockchain and Amazon and Alibaba also signing up for blockchain-based sort of tracking solutions. In our uh, general tech news, we've got a robot dog, which is doing all sorts of things, including herding sheep mm. uh, and potentially inciting rebellion on a New Zealand farm. Yeah, we're talking about robots that are doing all sorts of things, including sorting groceries. And and uh, there's uh, even an acquisition in there of a big VR company. So we'll discuss a bit about what that means for VR and for viewing experiences for things like sport. Mm, some progressions in gaming technology as well. Um, and then in transport news, we're talking about the Tesla Model 3 has actually beaten out the Honda Civic uh, for sales in California. Yeah, we've also got uh, massive electric oil takers coming, which is super ironic. <laughs> and we're going to touch on, uh, on the recent news out of SpaceX as well. Mm, so lots to dig into this episode. Glad to have you here. 
What have you been up to the last couple of weeks, mate? mate nothing interesting until today, and <laughs> very much today. I sent you a picture of the uh, the hall. I feel kind of weird talking about it on a podcast, but um, you got to though. You got to. This is so yeah. cool. So I bought my first kilogram of silver, and it looks sick. You sent me a photo, and you just had like this silver ingot in your hand. It's got mm. like in, it's like engraved, and how did it feel? Like, t- t- talk to me about the the experience of buying real silver, like at a physical store. All right. So this store, their website said that they were sold out of silver because silver has been pretty scarce in recent months. But I was like, do you know what? I'm going to chance it. So I left work on my lunch break and just strolled down the road to go to this uh, bullion place. There was Peter Schiff, you know, the guy who hates Bitcoin and all that stuff. You know, I don't hate Bitcoin because there's nothing there to hate. It's just an an abstraction. Uh, Now, a lot of people have confused it for gold. They think it's digital gold. As I've said, it's just simply fool's gold. He was playing in the lobby on the TV screens talking about, you know, yeah, he's this famous gold bug, gold guy. I think his dad went into prison for going against the IRS in America or something. Okay. But he was playing on the TV. There was like, you know, you could see there was a whole gallery of gold and silver bars and stuff. It was so cool. Behind bulletproof glass. <laughs> Give him my ID because that's the legal requirement and um, fill out my phone number because they have to text me and say, you need to come back in five minutes because of COVID. But- the whole the whole city was silent. It was pretty quiet, but this gold place was packed. Really? There were like four people in the reception of this building. Like one guy who was like five, ten years older than me, a couple of old people, and one other guy in his like mid-fifties, I reckon. Okay. But there were people of all ages who were here to buy or sell gold. It was wild. They had like a vault and all that sort of stuff. You go through this, like when the light goes green, you go through this door. It's like a bulletproof door. And then there's that door shuts behind you and there's you're suddenly trapped in this little space. Oh, it's like and an then airlock. there's another, yeah. And then oh. there's there's cameras above you and there's another green light that goes off and beep. They, they look at you through the glass before they open it and then beep, they let you in and you go in and you buy your, make your transaction. And so I, I, I purchased with my fiat currency, I bought a kilogram of silver. Yuck. Yeah, glad you um, got rid of that. Yeah, just chucked it out of my bank account. Didn't yeah. need that. Um, and yeah, um, so after the transaction was made on the visa and all that stuff, we walked over to the vault side and then someone hands through in the little slot between the vault and the main room. They pass this lump of whatever through and then they put it in this bag and they give it to me. It's heavy. It's yeah. really heavy. Yeah, okay, so it was, was, it a, was it a KG, did you say? One that- KG, exactly. And okay. I didn't get like one of those shiny polished bars with like a whatever. Yep. It was just, I just want to just cast, just give me some silver, give me, that, piece of silver. give me that silver. Yeah. It's small, yeah. it's not huge, but you know that it's, it's weighty. And yeah, I'm, I feel like if you like if you hit someone in the head with it, from what I saw there, you, you'd you'd do some damage. Mate, I'd be liable for some severe personal injury cases if yeah. they arose. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, so cool. Did you get Did you get a look at their like the people behind the tellers? Like, were they you know were they human sized or were they like little you know little gnomes maybe with some pointy ears? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, like, it was it was more of a uh, like a golem style creature. Right, right. <laughs> no. Did they whisper, "My precious," as yeah. they passed it to you? They 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 didn't let it go. That was <laughs> had to fight for it. <laughs> no, nah, nah, it was it was awesome. They had, like they weren't really asking about my ideological reasons for buying silver. They were just yeah. happy to accept money, really. So fair play to them. Uh, Scrolled it away and yeah, dude, it like it was exciting. That's great, man. Your first KG of silver. I'm so pumped for you. Like the moment I saw it, I was like, that is so cool. You've actually done it. Like I fully understand having held it. Like I understand how people become gold or silver bugs. Yeah, because it's it's just a lump of metal. But at the same time, like when you hold it, Aaron, you're like, and then you you think of the physical, like the, the monetary value of what you're holding, you're like, this is nuts. Imagine how old that is too, you know, like that, 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 that probably, that sat on the ground for a long, long time before you, you got to hold it. Yeah, at least since 1990. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, no, pretty crazy. Anyway, that was my exciting story and I'm super awesome. pumped for it. And uh, Awesome. Just a tiny little hedge in addition to crypto, but yeah, wild, real yeah. wild. What have you been yeah. up to? Um, went out to the farm uh, this yeah. weekend, just gone, which was great. It was just like, uh, like it was actually awesome just to get out in nature, you know, like get out back out into the space and see the open sky. And mm. um, <clears throat> yeah, like I feel like I don't know how other people are feeling in this current lockdown situation or not locked, you know, like isolation situation, but it's, you know, you, you're spending a lot of time at home and you're not really getting out much and uh mm. yeah it was it was really good so did that um i've been lo- watching a lot of esports as well Ooh. like like probably more than more than i usually do just because yeah. i like i normally have something going when i'm at home and i'm working but just because i've been home so much and i've been working so much mm. <clears throat> i mean right now i'm watching um so valorant which is like riot's new oh, fps yes. kind of answer yeah it's, so that's- it's free isn't it uh, it is free. Uh, you do have to like basically sign away your like you have to install uh, an anti cheat at the kernel level. Um, mm. So basically, like their anti cheat can basically read and do anything on your computer at like so, the deepest level of the operating system, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Like it, like it's actually like if 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 this game gets compromised, um, they could do some serious damage to a lot of Far out. systems just because. Yeah, it is that deep. So you like. Yeah, you kind of got to trade away your soul in a way to be able to play it. Um, and so, yeah, that's the one downside to it. But look, it looks good. Uh, it run on a potato with a couple of uh, wires plugged into it. Like mm. it's 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 not very graphically intensive, and they're they're gearing it like taking aim. Excuse the pun, like directly at CS:GO. Like that's what they're wow. they're gunning after that CS:GO Isn't competitive Valorant scene. Built by Valve? No, no, it's built by Riot. Yeah, no, oh, by Riot. Man. So, like, the oh. guys that do League of Legends. So, and it has yeah. that real kind of cartoony, low um, level of detail kind of look about it too. Yeah. Um, so, I, I'm not like I'm not super crash on on the look. The actual gameplay, uh, from what I can see, flows pretty well. There's some pretty interesting little things. But anyway, like it's it's launching officially as of like tonight. Yeah, like that's you know, but there's been all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, the 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 supercars here in Australia have had a had a um, uh, an E series they've been doing. There's mm. a whole bunch of Counter Strike being played, lots of Starcraft, um, you name it. I've probably been watching it. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it's been it's been good, mate. That sounds awesome. 
Let's jump into our blockchain and cryptocurrency news. Let's do it. Cool. Okay. So we we um uh, we covered Paul Tudor Jones last week. Uh, awesome he was story. The last podcast. Yeah. So he uh, like grandfather of you know modern hedge funds kind of came out and said Bitcoin was his bet for the future. And you know we try and be as unbiased as we can on the show here and. and <laughs> Yeah, sure. show some show some opposing views. So you know, we 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 saw this week that Goldman Sachs had come out and basically trashed Bitcoin on an investor call. Yeah, so they hosted this like investment advisory call for their clients. They they gave this scathing analysis of Bitcoin. So in a slide that was entitled "Cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, are not an asset class," the bank alliterated a number of reasons to support that view, um, saying that, you know, it provides no cash cash flow, no earnings through exposure to global, global growth, nor does it provide diversification nor dampen vo- volatility uh, and has shown no evidence of being an effective hedge against inflation. That's what these uh, the math bods have been saying at Goldman Sachs. Yeah, and, and so one of, the, uh, one of the investors instantly spoke up and asked them where Bitcoin hurt them to point to it. Um, and uh, Bitcoin touched them and, you know, and there was some awkward moments for a while. But they basically uh, invoked the greater fool theory, uh, the analysts said. They said, we believe that a security whose appreciation is primarily dependent on whether someone else is willing to pay a higher price for it is not a suitable investment for our clients. Now, Joe, tell me um, – like investment in general, right? Like the reason why you invest in anything. Why, why do you invest in something? Oh, because do you think it's going to crash to the floor? Oh, okay, cool. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, yeah, that's all good. Like a basic economic 101. Like, yeah, if you, if you need any more help, just let me know. Cool. Um, I can tell you all the altcoins I've bought in the last three years have done exactly <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Goldman analysts were also dismissive of the argument that was commonly made by Bitcoin bulls that while Bitcoin itself doesn't offer dividends and coupon payments, it has value based on scarcity, which these bulls say, in much the same way that gold does. In other words, if gold and silver can have value, then so can Bitcoin. Yeah, what no, did they said- say? Well, they said that tulips were scarce too, um, and still people lost a lot of money. um, And they added that Bitcoin's meteoric rise and subsequent fall were much worse comparatively than in in the Gouda tulip bubble of 1636 and 37, which we all remember very fondly like it was yesterday. So um, (laughs) it wasn't purely Bitcoin that received a thumbs down from the banking giant. So the bank also gave gold a short thrift, uh, and they challenged conventional wisdom that it's a natural hedge against inflation. Yeah. So, look, understandably, coming from the bank that said the US economy was nearly recession-proof oh boy. Uh, yeah. last year, um, you can see why the Bitcoin community and, like, a lot of other investors now too are pretty dismissive of the article and Goldman Sachs in general. Um, like, And, look, it just – I mean, in the same way that you mentioned Peter Schiff before, like, Peter Schiff, you know, he's a he's a very much a gold bug and mm-hmm. he's quite dismissive of Bitcoin because that's where his business is. And, you know, he's an older kind of guy. He doesn't really – Spend the time to get it. Um, similar with Goldman Sachs, you know they've got a uh, they've got investments that they invest in. They've got a profile. Um, they're very bullish on uh, the U.S. economy because that's you know that's where they put most of their money. And you know it's it's kind of like you know it's like asking the police to investigate themselves, isn't it? Like it, it's asking Goldman Sachs to give like a glowing report of cryptocurrency. Like they're just they're just not going to do that. Mm. Mm. Well, they were talking about the scarcity thing and they were talking about tulips, you know, that tulip mania where, you know, people in the Netherlands or some far, far-fledged far European nation 
back in the day were, you know, tulips were this insanely valuable thing that had this big whatever. But the thing is you could grow tulips, but you mm. can't grow bitcoins unless you're mining. Um, yeah, and 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 that 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 amount is getting smaller and smaller mm, with every halving, you know. Mm. Now the, the the question they raise is it a fledge against inflation? I honestly I don't know. I don't know if mm. you have thoughts on that, but um, I do have my criticisms of Bitcoin. I actually put a message in Telegram this morning. Um, I went out and bought a an iced coffee this morning uh, mm. with Bitcoin because mm. I just like spending some Bitcoin. And a TM raised in the notes. He's like, "Why are you spending your Bitcoin if you think it's a future?" and very fair point. I shouldn't mm. have spent that Bitcoin because it's probably worth something in the future. But yeah, I wanted to just yeah get rid of my coins and you know just just, just spend a few and show. That- it feels good sometimes, mate. Yeah. Like I, I, know, I know exactly what you mean. Like sometimes, like I'm, I, I, you know, I'm a massive hodler. Like I just, I'm, I'm just stacking sats and accumulating as much as I can. But I still, a part of me still like spending some of it every now and then. You know, like just mm. participating mm. in that peer to peer economy. You know, well, yeah. As as much as like I thought it was awesome because I was spending Bitcoin, I wasn't actually spending Bitcoin. I put my Bitcoin into a Lightning wallet mm. because Bitcoin it takes like twenty minutes or ten minutes or whatever. It takes ages for it to get somewhere, mm. and I want to send transactions now. Like when I make a purchase, I want to just buy. When I when I click buy, I want to buy. So I switched it into a Lightning wallet so that I could buy things quickly, but. It took ages to get to that Lightning wallet. Like it wasn't just like a oh, this is digital money. This is the future of things. It's like Western Union. You know, it's it takes forever. Yeah. And if this is digital money and it takes me ten minutes to send it somewhere, I'm not in for it. Mm. Yeah. No, I I agree, mate. Like, there's definitely like that's that's kind of been part of the issue that a lot of people have had with it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think like it's it's you know it, it's it's where people's use cases are. I mean, I think for a lot of people, Bitcoin the the big uh, the the big killer app for it. I guess the killer use for it at the moment for a lot of people is that it's a uh, it's a scarce asset. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. essentially building the the basis for a new monetary system. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like that's a that they're okay with things taking a lot of time. When the basis is, you know, is essentially being built to be so sound, um, mm-hmm. and things like Lightning and other, you know, other layer two, layer three solutions will probably come. Um, I think was it was it Pav that put the uh, like the the minting the, the Bitcoin that got minted on the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah, 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 you know? did, yeah, yeah. Like there, there, I, I, I think there's going to be a lot of stuff like that happening in the near future, and so those yeah. people that want to, you know, spend their Bitcoin as like a day to day. Yeah. In a similar way that, you know, we've now got FPOS and MasterCard and all that kind of stuff as layers on top of the banking mm. banking uh, system and OSCO, like the, mm. the pay ID stuff and everything else. So, mm. yeah, like they, they make some valid points. I think there's there's still a long way to go, um, but we're only 10 years in, you know. And yeah. uh, I think to, to the hedge question, like hedge against inflation, the jury's definitely still out. But if you had of... Yeah bought Bitcoin in, say, like the first first three years. You definitely beat it. Yeah, yeah you've, you've, you've hedged hard against inflation. Like, you, you're doing, you're a long way up. So, yeah. Mm. Well, more Bitcoin drama kicked off. Um, an early Bitcoin miner actually called Craig Wright a fraud through his own addresses. Yeah, so Craig Wright, um, like, we've, we've covered him a few times on the show before. He is... 
self-proclaimed uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. So Satoshi Nakamoto is the pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin. No one really knows who he is, if he was mm-hmm. a group or a single person. A couple of years ago, Craig Wright, who is um, unfortunately an Australian uh uh, alleged doctor. Um, there's even some issues around that. <laughs> um, uh, came out and said that he was Satoshi. And there's been this ongoing court battle around a whole bunch of um, uh, uh, mined coins from way back in the day that he mined allegedly with a few other people. And uh, and there's and, and there's a whole bunch of addresses that he's effectively claimed that he owns. Yeah. As part of that case. So so he said, you know, these addresses might belong to me. However, that was like months back. So a message signed by 145 different wallets containing Bitcoin that was mined in its very first years, that message calls Craig Wright a liar and a fraud. And the message was published on May the 25th with a list of 145 addresses and the corresponding signatures, which basically validates that that message came from all 145 accounts. So it suggested the person who wrote that message was in control of 145 of these wallets that Craig Wright claimed were could have been his. Yeah, yeah, and they've been verified as addresses that Craig Wright has tendered in court documents under oath um, uh, that he's basically claiming that he owns. Um, and he's, he's so, and, and Craig Wright's an interesting one. Like he, he's um, uh, claimed on multiple occasions that he's Satoshi Nakamoto. He hasn't been, but he hasn't. He's never been able to provide any of the keys. He's never been able to sign a transaction from uh, the Genesis wallet, which was owned by Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, and uh, and so it's, it's been really difficult to verify any of these claims. Yeah, so he, he's tried to evade on every occasion that he would be forced to conclusively prove his ownership. But um, many in the community, um, ourselves included, doubt that he actually owns Satoshi Bitcoins, um, and therefore that he's Satoshi Nakamoto. But you never know, you know, mm. rabbits can be pulled out of hats. <laughs> it's Yeah, the big issue is like, you know, there's a saying in the Bitcoin community, don't trust, verify. And he's not verified yet, um, so we can't trust him. Exactly right. <laughs> Mate, you you, <laughs> you stumbled across a really cool tool during oh, the week. Oh, this was awesome. Now, I haven't tried it and I haven't installed it on my own computer, so caveat emptor, buyer beware. Ooh. Um, Ooh, did you go to law school? Oh, I studied Ooh. Latin in school because I went to a very fancy school in England. Um, but yeah, I was trying to trace some on-chain Bitcoin transactions and I was... I went through some of those like tools that let you, you know, explore where did this Bitcoin come from and trace the where the, where some money came from. And I started realizing that it got so complicated because I'd click on links and click and, and then I get lost and be like, where did this come from? Um, so I looked, I explored, I looked at some of the tools that are on offer for tracking Bitcoin transactions. There's Chainalysis, which is a, a software company which makes tools for governments and businesses mm. to track crypto transactions uh, and and then therefore tie transactions to identities. Why? Because I just wanted to track a certain address and see where money went. What did I learn? I learned that unless you've been taking hectic amounts of like cocaine or something, (laughs) you can't understand where did this money come from on a Bitcoin transaction without spending money on a tool like Chainalysis, which visualizes Mm. the history 
I found this really cool tool called Blockchain 3D. Blockchain3D.info is the website. Uh, it looks like a really cool option. You have to install it. Now, I didn't because I didn't want to install anything on this computer. But basically, it lets you put on like VR headsets and actually explore any blockchain in 3D. So click on the link. It looks super awesome. Like, yeah. Every transaction has like a 3D thing associated with it. It's just nuts. Yeah, it's got like all these hubs and spokes and like you click on one thing and other transactions pop out of it and mm-hmm. yeah, you're like flying through the sky. It's- it looks awesome. So yeah. I, I need to set up like a virtual machine and just install it somewhere that's not going to come back and potentially ruin my regular computer. <laughs> Look, if anyone listening has come across a really cool way of tracking Bitcoin transactions visually, not just like clicking numbers, but actually visually seeing like a like an, a spider diagram or a, a mind map of transactions, who it came from, where it's going to. I'd love to see it because it, it that that stuff is awesome, and mm. and that's actually what chain analysis do. That's what the governments have access to, and it's something that I want access to. So give me your free copies. <laughs> Next bit of news, uh, the big four are gearing up to become crypto and blockchain auditors. Yeah, so Henri Arslanian, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC's global crypto leader, as they say, he told Cointelegraph that the big four firms specifically have a very important role to play in the advancement of the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Uh, What did he say about that? So he said, although Bitcoin was designed with a trustless ideology, the reality is that the industry still requires trusted entities to catalyze the development of the ecosystem. Yeah, so this guy noted that when he first joined PwC three years ago, not many people took crypto seriously. Uh, But he saw like fast growth, obviously, because that was 2017. And that drove the company's Hong Kong firm to start accepting Bitcoin payments from clients two years ago. So since then, PwC has formed crypto teams in 20 countries consisting of 200 people in total that work on crypto-related projects. And he said, just within the cryptocurrency sector, we've conducted over 350 engagements in the last 18 months. Now, the crypto teams aren't only focused on tax and accounting challenges, but audit and assurance services are also in demand. Yeah, he said, I believe the big four crypto firms will serve as the bridge between the crypto ecosystem and the institutional world. It's good for both the crypto ecosystem and for the professional services firms like ours as a new source of clients that we can help. What's your take on this? Oh, I don't know if I've really got a take. I mean, I'm just <laughs> thinking if I, if I was like working for... PwC or any other big guys and like, you know, you offered me a job in the crypto department, Mm. like particularly if I was doing like tax and, you know, accounting and things like that, I'd take (laughs) it in a heartbeat. That sounds so much more interesting Mm. than a, you know, like insolvency practice or whatever. But yeah, um, I don't know. Like, I I feel like a lot of this stuff is just a bit of faff and I don't know whether we're going to see it in in five to 10 years time. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like if they feel like they're providing a lot of value in, in that space, great, I guess. Um, I don't know. Do you have a take? Like is there anything that- Yeah, I do have a take. I feel like okay. saying I understand blockchain is like saying I understand Microsoft Excel. Like it's a database. Like <laughs> yeah. you understand it goes from somewhere and to somewhere 
there's an exchange, like there's a transaction fee on the way. And so it's, it's literally, it's perfectly measurable. That's the thing about public blockchains, at least like Bitcoin. Um, it's just, you'd, you know, it just goes from A to B. And so it's yep. very easy to track. So it doesn't take much of a genius to make, you know, a few formulas that can convert complicated looking stuff into just very simple. Oh, this went to here, this went to here. Blah. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's a bit of a fad, really. But it's good to know that the big companies, the huge companies, are looking at it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you, I guess you got to like, you got to ask, you know, how much of this is them actually, you know, there, there being like a real demand for it, and how much of it is just like a prestige thing that they kind of whack in as an extra part to, you know, say we're doing crypto. Yeah, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hard no, to know. Makes sense. Yeah. Hard to know. Well, let's jump onto something that's really not so hard to know. Yeah, so Alibaba has signed a blockchain-related deal with the Chinese port operator. Yeah, China's biggest port operator, China Merchants Port, great company name there. Um, they reached a deal on May 28th with the e-commerce giant Alibaba Group um, and its affiliate and financial. The deal will allow for the development of a blockchain-based platform which will target a number of different use cases. Yeah, so according to local media, the platform will allow buyers, sellers, logistic companies, banks, customs and tax officials to conduct contactless digital export and import transactions. Now, the companies will provide an in-depth integration of blockchain technology in the port industry, they say, and their goal is to become the world's first blockchain-based digital port with an open collaboration network. Um, Joe, I remember a couple of years ago, we were covering a lot of port-related yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. Is like is the is the point of difference on this one that they're like a bit more open? Is that is that what they're thinking or like because this this like, this sounds like what Maersk and IBM and you know all those different kinds. I think Samsung was tied up in it as well. They were all working on some port stuff too. Look, it sounds like exactly the same product, um, <laughs> except it's hosted in Alibaba. So yeah. I guess Alibaba's blockchain cloud or something like that instead of. IBM's blockchain cloud. And look, it's got our favorite group of individuals, buyers, sellers, logistics companies, banks, customs, and tax officials. Mm. So that is just, that is a sandwich of the most delicious ingredients. Um, it doesn't get much better than that. Oh, no, mate. That's <laughs> like, that is the dream team, you know? If you're going to a party, they're all the people that you want at that party. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, though, Amazon, competitor to Alibaba in the cloud land at least, not much mm. of a competitor because Amazon's dope, um, yep. they've patented this blockchain system for supply chain tracking, which is fascinating because Amazon's this trillion-dollar company. Yeah, and so they've followed a patent for a blockchain system that tracks goods as they move on the supply chain. And the patent dated May 26 describes a distributed ledger certification system. Ooh. Mm. So the document explains that the tracking solution <laughs> would ensure that consumer goods that are sold on its e-commerce site are authentic. So they say that features are disclosed for an interface for verifiable tracking of an item through a supply chain using a distributed electronic ledger. That's really fascinating. When it just says it's verifiable tracking of an item through a supply chain. Like mm. that is, it's exactly what Alibaba are doing in the previous piece that we were talking about. But yep. 
but that's it's spot on. That's exactly what these guys are doing. It's smart contract. It's just database, Excel spreadsheet, new row. It's yep. gone from here to here to here to here. You can now, yeah, like in the future, it won't be surprising. You scan the barcode and all of a sudden there'll be a VR hologram in front of you that shows you the poor Chinese bloke who made the the iPhone that you're holding in your hands. That's I right. don't know. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And you bought and it on they- Amazon. So great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like that all these big cloud suppliers are kind of d- doing this. I mean, I remember, jeez, mm. it, it would have been over two years ago when we were covering Microsoft's Azure stuff, and they were, you know, already they already had all this kind of in place. They were tracking um, the movement of milk through like intelligent sensors, and as it moved from like the farm to the factory, all the way to the. Um, to the store and it was updating the ledger and like things would go out of compliance and it would update mm, the smart contract. Mm. And yeah. So like it's, it's, it, it seems like they're all doing it. Um, it seems like, you know, there's more and more patents being filed. So I guess, you know, we're still yet to see, uh, like we're still yet to see this come into any industry in a massive way though, aren't we? You know, like it still yeah. just seems well, to be like. You say that, but behind the scenes, like I remember, so what you're talking about there was Microsoft Azure's blockchain. We talked about that back in episode 21. That's like two years ago. Mm. But we also covered Walmart uh, moving all of their greens. So was it Walmart? Um, that was, yeah, the Food Trust. Yeah, you, you, no, you, you're um, right. That was um, Walmart, Nestle, I think IBM were developing. Yeah, so yeah. that was actually just after, I think that was episode 28 uh, when we first mentioned that. Yeah. Um, so they bought a bunch of headsets and then episode 20, 29, um, literally between in the space of two weeks, they went from buying 17,000 headsets to suddenly – Move set t- telling every salad supplier, every green supplier, to give them stuff via yeah. a blockchain by yeah. September 2019, and it's now. Where, when are we? We're we're like July, June. Sorry, don't know the time. 2020. Like it's been about a year, and Walmart, and that's like that's the biggest. That's like the biggest supermarket in the world, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and that's something we haven't checked back in on, is it? Like we. We should probably check back in on uh, Walmart's food trust sometimes and see how yeah. it's actually going. That's a very good call. Minecraft meets the blockchain thanks to a new plugin. Yeah, so according to an an announcement made by Engine, who, by the way, we featured back in episode 10, uh, about 58 minutes and 22 seconds through, um, the blockchain plugin um, from Engine for Minecraft will allow players to integrate, trade, and use blockchain gaming items through Minecraft servers. Yeah, so by integrating with Engine, the company aims to make it easy to tokenize Minecraft items and thus incorporate them within the player's servers. Now, the plugin is based in Java. Uh, It's got some specialized functionalities like integration of the tool on external games, servers, and websites, but Engine's kind of been set up for this for the very beginning. I mean, I remember playing with Mm. like an early version of Engine way back in the day and it's basically set up to act as like a you know item marketplace and having different items from different games kind of integrate and yeah. um so yeah it's it's cool that they're you know they're managing to bring this into into minecraft mm, pretty nuts yeah lovely lovely all right tech news time mate there is a lot of tech news to talk about 
Yeah, and this this first one is just wild. We've got a video uh, in the show notes, and you should definitely go watch it. It, it. It'll have robot dog or something on the title, and basically it's a video featuring this robot dog, which does all sorts of things on the farm, including herding sheep on a New Zealand farm. Yeah, this New Zealand-based robotics company, Rockos, just shared a video of how Boston Dynamics dog-like robot Spot could give agriculture workers a hand by herding sheep, inspecting crop yields and relieving labour shortages. So the company typing Spot could provide real-time feedback as it navigates and scans rugged environments and by creating the maps, farmers could inspect yield estimates of their crops without having to go out. And in fact... The task of operating the robot could be fulfilled by practically anybody, even if it means outsourcing to another country. Yeah. Now, you watch this video clip and it shows the robot moving towards a herd of sheep um, and the sheep start moving. But the clip is very short, which suggests to me that the sheep rose up, they attacked the robot, sent spot packing and... uh, in my opinion, dogs will probably be okay for another 10 years at least. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the most reasonable and logical conclusion, I think, mate. Like, Because they, they they did cut it off very suddenly. And, you know, we've all heard the song, Cows With Guns. <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, it's just, it's not much of a logical leap to have sheep with guns either. So, I for one welcome our new um, woolly overlords. <laughs> Next up, Microsoft launches Project Bonsai, which is an AI development platform for industrial control systems. Yeah, so this Project Bonsai is a machine teaching service that combines machine learning, calibration, and optimization to bring autonomy to the control systems at the heart of robotic arms, bulldozer blades, forklifts, underground drills, rescue vehicles, wind, solar farms, and a lot more. Yeah, so Project Bonsai attempts to marry this expertise with a powerful simulation toolkit hosted on Microsoft Azure. Mm, At a high level, their aim is to hasten the arrival of Industry 4.0, which is an industrial transformation that Microsoft defines as the infusion of intelligence, connectivity, and automation into the physical world. Separate to this, uh, which is worth watching, um, Ocado's grocery sorting slash packing robot warehouse. Uh, it's on YouTube. Um, check it out in the show notes. It's well worth watching if you like robots. It's uh, Ocado is a UK-based online-only supermarket, and, and they've been solving the problems of picking, handling, quick delivery uh, optimization. Use, like they're, they're, they optimize the driving routes that the... Uh, the the person driving the van is going to go on in real time, and it's crazy. Like it's a whole ro- like warehouse where the food is dropped in at one end, and these robots sort it and put it into shop- shopping baskets, and it then goes to the consumers. And it's just what it's just crazy wild. So definitely worth checking out if you're interested in robots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and and in that vein too, uh, there's another link we've got up there which has a video which has a high-speed robot arm handing off packages to a delivery drone yeah. in, a, in a demo. Yeah, so why land a drone to pick up a package when it could snatch it from a robot arm without stopping? So the Ishikawa Group Laboratory at the University of Tokyo has already made it happen. So from the paper they wrote, it's a non-stop handover of a parcel to an airborne UAV. Now, a supply station automatically loads a parcel onto the UAV 
an adjustment for the handover is achieved by controlling the supply station, which tracks the UAV using a high-speed vision system. So you effectively have this UAV kind of fly in and this arm basically like tracks where it is and puts the package like on a hook perfectly for the UAV just to pick up and keep going. Don't need to stop. You don't need to land. You don't need to worry about momentum. And, you know, like theoretically, you could have these UAVs flying around delivering packages without ever really slowing down. Yeah, and that would be much better than your existing postman. So, (laughs) sounds Mm. pretty cool. Um, Good luck for the dogs chasing it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so true. Some people are going to lose some dogs, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, brutal. Microsoft have just built a world-class supercomputer exclusively for OpenAI. Yeah, so last year, Microsoft announced this billion-dollar investment in OpenAI, which is, they're an organization whose mission is to create an artificial general intelligence and make it safe for humanity. What is artificial general intelligence? Yeah, so artificial general intelligence is the hypothetical intelligence of a machine that has the capacity to understand or learn any intellectual tasks that a human being can. It's the primary goal of some artificial intelligence research and a common topic in science fiction and future studies. And I think a, a lot of the, um, uh, like this is a lot of the singularity talk is tied up in basically, this is kind of like the precursor to what, you know, sci-fi novels call the singularity. Mm. So, well, yeah, as we said last year, Microsoft announced a billion dollar investment in this organization. A year on, we have the first results of that partnership at this year's Microsoft Build 2020, which is a developer conference showcasing Microsoft's latest and graces. The company said that they'd completed a supercomputer exclusively for OpenAI's machine learning research. Now, this is like no run-of-the-mill supercomputer, you know, like the type that you just buy off the shelf and, you know, whack into a 20,000 square foot warehouse it's, it's it's a beast of machine so the company said it has 285,000 CPU cores 10,000 GPUs and 400 gigabits per second of network connectivity for each GPU server for context i'm on about 25 megabits of internet connectivity so mm. yeah or is that megabytes? I don't know. Alleg- allegedly megabits. <laughs> oh, up man. To, up, up, up to typ- typical evening speeds. This is ridiculous. But stacked against the <laughs> fastest supercomputer on the planet, Microsoft said that this computer would rank fifth. Yeah. So it's it's right up. Now, the size of most advanced AI models, that is like the neural networks in machine learning algorithms, has been growing fast. So at the same time, according to OpenAI, the computing power needed to train these models has been doubling Every 3.4 months. Yeah, so the bigger the model that you're trying to train against, the bigger the computer you need to train it. And to be clear, this isn't artificial general intelligence yet, and there's no certain path to artificial general intelligence yet. But algorithms are beginning to modestly generalize within domains, and that's progress. Yeah, so the general idea is that once one of these very large AI models has been trained, it can actually be customized and employed by other researchers or companies with far fewer resources. So effectively, like we get to that point and then the goalposts shift again and we can use this trained artificial intelligence to effectively do a whole bunch of things a lot quicker 
than what mm. it took to train it in the first. It's place. the whole like standing on the shoulders of giants sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally unrelated to Microsoft's investment in a supercomputer for AI, Microsoft is also laying off journalists uh, and replacing them with artificial intelligence. Yeah, so they're laying off dozens of journalists and editorial workers at its Microsoft News and MSN organisations. Now, it's unclear whether this is because of the artificial intelligence or just because no one reads MSN and Microsoft News. um, (laughs) The the layoffs are apparently part of a bigger push by Microsoft to rely on artificial intelligence to pick news and content that's presented on MSN.com. A Microsoft spokesperson said... Look, like all companies, we evaluate our business on a regular basis. This can result in an increased investment in some places and, from time to time, redeployment in others. These decisions are not the result of the current pandemic. So we know these journalists have not lost their job due to COVID-19. Thank goodness. Yeah, it makes me feel a lot better. Warm and fuzzy. (laughs) Next, This next piece of VR news is nuts. Yeah, so NextVR, which is located in Orange County, California, has a decade of experience with VR stuff in sports, entertainment, um, and they do all sorts of VR experiences for live events with headsets from PlayStation, Oculus, HTC, Microsoft, Lenovo, you name it. They're in VR all over the place. And they've been acquired by Apple. Yeah, so they've they've got technology that upscales video streams, um, and they use the technology to support high-quality video streams of music, sporting events um, uh, to VR headsets, and they've got about 40 patents total. So this, like, combined with their partnerships, I mean, they've got NBA, Fox Sports, Wimbledon. They're all over the place. Like, Apple is making a massive, massive move here, uh, and they're kind of betting on VR as being a big portion of their portfolio going forward. Yeah. Now, that's no no amount of small change, like a few hundred million that that Apple probably spent on them, but... Look, NBA, like basketball, Fox Sports. I don't know what's on Fox Sports, but I assume it's not Foxes. Wimbledon is like tennis and stuff. Like live stuff, like live sports in VR. Now, I'm not a sports fan, but I assume that if I was a sports fan, seeing it as if I was there in person, right by the net or the other yep. sports thing to stand next to, that would be freaking cool, right? 100%, man. Like one of the, one of the best um, like moments in my recent memory was when I went over to, uh, funnily enough, Cal- Orange County, California as well, where the Ducks play. Um, they're the hockey team that I follow. Yeah. Um, ice hockey, and I got to go to uh, two of their games. And I'd like been wanting to go for years and years and years. Finally got there and, mate, like got um, seats down by the rink and uh, it was Unreal, mate. Like, it was just amazing being that close to the players. You just don't get that experience on TV. But VR, definitely, if they set their cameras up right and, you know, they they could effectively put you basically right there, right at the ring. Right in and, the action, yeah. You know, yeah, if the sound works as well, mate, it's, it's going to be amazing. So that's pretty, as you just said, unreal. Um, mm. Let's move on with that same word. Unreal Engine wow. 5. Well what a done. segue. <laughs> Episode 65, mate. We made it. <laughs> Look at that. Unreal that Engine 5. <laughs> Dude, talk to us about it. So Unreal Engine 4 runs a bunch of games at the moment. So a lot of the games that people play right now, if you 
peel away the um, the the packaging, open up the hood, you'll see Unreal Engine Four running underneath it. It's a very very uh, robust, uh, well used engine that's quite respected. So they've have been resting on their laurels. They've been building Unreal Five, and um, you like you need to basically click on this this link. Yeah, we've got in the show yep, notes. Do it, please go watch it because it it, it looks too real. Like and it's gameplay stuff, so it's a it's a demo that they've that they've got. They're running it on Unreal Five, and uh, mate, it, it is it, it looks amazing. Yeah, so they're running Unreal Engine Five on a PlayStation Five, and these graphics look almost real. It's mm. scary. Yeah, no, it is, and and, and they're, they're we're really getting into this this like this area where you know we're almost getting away from Uncanny Valley. You know, like last mm. 10, 15 years, graphics have been getting good, but there's still always been that element of like it doesn't look quite real. And I think the closest we've probably come is some of the stuff coming out of Star Citizen. Like if, if you go mm. into that game, there's some, there's just some amazing, amazing graphics in that game that they've worked really, really hard on. But um, this is next level. Like you've got 8K textures. You've got virtualized micro polygon geometry, um, which apparently frees artists to create as much geometric detail as the eye can see. And, uh, and that means that tens of millions of triangles can be rendered in real time. Uh, one example in the video that they show you, this is running on a PlayStation 5, by the way, and it shows over 16 billion triangles being rendered in a single room that you're standing in with real-time light moving around. And this is on a PS5. It's astounding. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, imagine what this is going to do when you put it on a PC, like a modern PC. You know, it's oh. just... Video games from the 2020s could look like scenes that are ripped straight out of real life. Like, things look good now if you play Battlefield or Star Citizen, but this is next level. It's going to be nuts. Mm. I can't wait. Crazy. Cannot wait. So, uh, mate, we have not heard from Jordan, our intrepid South African reporter, in a while. We should give him a call. Yeah, he's popped back up on our radar. I think it's time we, we give him a call, see what he's up to, see where he's at. You know, just check in. Yeah, let's give him a ring. Jordan, have I got you? Oh, bro, yes, hello. Hello, yes, are you there? Yeah, mate. Yeah, I'm here. Um, look, haven't heard from you in a while. Um, good to good to finally tee up with you. I think you left us a message. Oh, likewise, mate. Likewise, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, so where are you this week, mate? Are you still uh, still? I think you were in Africa last time we talked to you. Have you you, you moved anywhere else? No, bro. I'm back in the United States. So I heard there was an Ebola outbreak in Africa, so I I had to straight, head straight for freedom. I went to the United States. I'm here now. I'm actually on the ground. You know, there's there's riots taking place. I'm actually in Minnesota. I'm taking part in the rallies, lending support where I can. Okay, so um, so so what are you what are you actually doing there, Jordan? Because I know there is a lot of protests and and riots. Obviously, things are things are a bit crazy in the U.S. at the moment. You picked a pretty strange time to come. Are you doing anything in particular while you're there? Oh, Bru, what else would I be doing? Huh? I'm reporting. This is one of the greatest events of our lifetimes. Huh? You know, look, the people are rising up. The populace, they're, they're rising up. It it reminds me of a long time ago, actually, in South Africa. I was a wee long yet. I was, I was a little boy. You know, no, 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 put it on the floor, huh? No, oh, no, right, no, sounds no, like- put it over there. Oh, get that off. Sounds like something else is going on there in the background, Jordan. Uh, what, what are you up to? Well, look, Will, Matt, 
look, I found myself in a somewhat of a unique situation. I, look, I fell in with, uh, I'm in a protest that's protesting against the Federal Reserve. Everybody, there's thousands of people here. We're smashing windows. We're taking shoes out of stores. We're running away down the streets with Nike shoes, brand new ones. You know, we're rioting against the Federal Reserve. That's what we're here for, you know? Oh, Jordan, um, I, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't actually think that those rights are about the Federal Reserve. No, nah, bro, look, everybody is frustrated, they're angry, the aggressor is the Federal Reserve. Everybody here, without a doubt, they're rioting against the Federal Reserve. Okay, so Jordan, um, so, so you sound like you're placing some things down somewhere. Bro, um, I'm in the middle of a department store right now. We're, we're taking the Federal Reserve down right here in the middle of a Macy's supermarket in America. Huh? We, we're getting rid of the items so that we can trash the Federal Reserve. But Jordan, Macy's isn't isn't the Federal Reserve. They're not owned by the Federal Reserve. If you want to trash the Federal Reserve, you need to go to the Federal Reserve building. Oh, Brew, dude, oh, oh we, we've got to get out of here. We've got to go. Oh, dude, I'll chat to you soon, huh? Uh, okay, so... Um, I think he's kind of missing the point of these protests a little bit. Doesn't sound like Jordan at all, does it? Missing the point and, you know, getting into places he probably shouldn't be. We, we may have to uh, we may have to call someone, mate. Just uh, <laughs> I think if, if we can explain things to them, we might be able to get him out of uh, out of out of out of a theft or robbery. Charge. Look, if you know a lawyer in the United States, please give us a message. All right, on to our privacy news. This week, um, we've discovered something a bit left a field, um, it, and it is an article by Wired, and it looked into NSA's secret tool for mapping your social network. Yeah, now Zero Hedge gave this story the headline, NSA's social network mapping is more vast, omnipresent, and horrifying than Snowden revealed. Um, a little more down to earth, Wired, who wrote this piece, they, they it's, it's really worth reading this piece for the full write-up. It's a great read. Now, as this author passed the documents and interviewed sources in uh, 2013, the implications of it finally sunk in. The NSA had built a live, ever-updating social graph of the United States. And they say our phone records were not in cold storage. They didn't sit untouched. They arranged in a one-hop contact chain of each to all. So all kinds of secrets, social, medical, political, professional, were pre-computed 24-7. Yeah, so looking at what was available in the documents and research and sourcing, this journalist saw that what the NSA was doing was creating a database that was pre-configured to map anybody's life at the touch of a button. So if you became an enemy of the state, they just need to put your name in, click enter, and it instantly shows you everything about your life, every parking ticket, every hospital appointments, every document that you've ever had digitally tied to your to your name and identity is there. Wow. And it's... Kind of crazy. So it's a bit of a privacy and security sort of thing. Well, didn't you come across an interesting privacy tool this week? Yeah, yeah. So this this um this one won't help you hide from the the NSA social network mapping <laughs> tool. Um, some some of that stuff we have covered in our um minute show slash privacy um link. There's some better tools there, but this one's called Matomo. Now, Matomo, uh, we've got the link in the show notes. It's, it's a genuine alternative to Google Analytics. Now, Joe, just for those people who don't really know what Google Analytics is, what does Google Analytics do? So if you run a website, Google Analytics, you put a little tiny script on your website, it loads on every web page, and it basically tells you 
who's visiting your website, how long are they on each page for, what are they doing there, are they clicking stuff, where do they come from, where are they going to, how are, they, how are people behaving on your website is what Google Analytics is. Yeah, cool. So, and, and the thing about Google Analytics, of course, is that it syncs in with a whole bunch of other Google products. It's tied to your account. Like, basically, by you know installing it on your web page, you're kind of giving Google like a, like a front a front seat view of everything that goes on on your website. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for people that are like using um, using the Google Stack and using Google Ads and all sorts of stuff, it really is like the best thing for the job. And it's kind of just one of those things that you you know, you just need, but there probably is a lot of people out there and a lot of websites out there that aren't running ads. They don't really need to be hooked into, into Google stack. And this is where something like Matobo comes really into its own. So it, uh, it, it provides all the usual things that the Google analytics does. So full service web analytics, heat maps, AB testing, funnels and goals, visitors, behavior acquisition. But the big kicker for Matomo is that it's open source and you can host it yourself. So if you want to have like an analytic tool on your website to kind of see who's looking at your, your website, do some A-B testing, you know, get a, an idea of who's visiting what part of your website and how long they're staying there, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you can spin up Matomo and it basically just runs on your server and you don't have to give that data to anyone. Um, you can just kind of keep it within your website and, you know, basically administer it yourself. Mm, that sounds really awesome. So, yeah, if you're running a website and you need an analytics tool but don't need the Google stack, um, this could be a really viable option for you. Sounds awesome. All right, on to our transport news. So, in this in this segment, we normally talk about stuff that's going on in space, talk about stuff that's going on in flight, um, electric cars, and there's plenty of news this week in all those fronts. Yes, first up, the Tesla Model 3 is beating Honda Civic as the top-selling car in California. The Tesla Model 3 has outsold the much cheaper Honda Civic to become California's top-selling passenger car during the first quarter of 2020. The California-based automaker has been consistently doing doing all right in its home market, which also happens to be one of the biggest markets in the world for Tesla. Um, yeah, they sold 18,856 um, versus uh, Honda Civic's 18,001. Um, now, now, just for perspective, yeah. like, so Tesla Model, Model 3 fits into the near-luxury category, right? So the next best, so Tesla's at around about 19,000, the next best car in that series is the BMW 3 Series, and they're only selling 3,500. So it's a market share in that category of Tesla's well over 50%. The next best is 9.6%. Tells you what people want, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I bet all these all these luxury car makers are kicking themselves now. They didn't, you know, heed Musk's words and, and warnings and actually just get their electric factories cranking earlier on. It's crazy. Now, Tesla is still gaining overall market share. You know, they're only representing 4.6% of the entire new car market in California. But look, they've only got three models basically on the market. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's a testament to them keeping it simple, keeping the quality up high. Um, and, and look, it, it just seems like they're picking up speed. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, interestingly, speaking of competition, Mazda has started the production of the MX-30, their first pure EV. Tell us a little bit about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, so Mazda has recently begun the production of the all-new, all-electric Mazda MX-3 at its Eugene and plant number one in Hiroshima, Japan. Now, the company is keeping its first pure EV moving forward to answer the demand for electric vehicles in Europe, where stricter CO2 reductions are in place. Now, Electric, who posted this piece, they had an interesting take. They said, look, having another choice of electric vehicles is a good thing. However, a new 2021 electric vehicle with 125 miles of range and 50 kilowatts quick charging limit, it's behind the times by the time it's released. Even if you like Mazda styling and build quality, the MX-30 at $35,000 US dollars to forty thousand US dollars, it's gonna be a tough sell. Yeah, yeah. And look, considering that like the majority of people buying Mazdas that look like this are, you know, like like mums of like three kids, four kids who generally have like places to be. They've got lots of different trips. Like generally it's a family car, this kind of stuff. Um like 125 miles of range on one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. Don't know how they're going to go. And look, I read the other week that Tesla had actually cut their car prices by up to 5,000 US dollars each. Wow. Crazy. Crazy. Anyway. Only they could come down in price a bit more here in Australia. Oh, please. Please. You got to laugh at this one. So, uh, massive electric oil tankers are coming. Now, can you hear uh, who, who sung that uh, ironic song, mate? Is it Alanis Morissette? Is that, <laughs> uh, I mean, this is just so ironic. A group of large Japanese companies have come together to launch a consortium that will build the infrastructure to develop and launch large electric vessels like oil tankers. Yeah, so oil tankers and cargo ships are some of the biggest and most polluting vehicles on the planet. Now, some of the world's largest cargo ships emit pollution comparable to millions of passenger cars put together. The heavy fuel oil that they burn has high sulfur content and therefore it's an important part of the world's transportation industry that needs to transition to being battery powered. So seven important Japanese companies have launched the E5 consortium, they're calling it, which um, it has a goal to establish, quote unquote, new ocean shipping infrastructure services through various initiatives to develop, realise and commercialise zero emission electric vessels. Now, so the first part of the project will be to launch the world's first zero-emission electric tanker powered by large-capacity lithium-ion batteries in March 2022. So what we'll have, if this all goes ahead, is we will have the world's first zero-emission electric tanker carrying a whole bunch of crude oil. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's just a joke. Now, like, they've, <laughs> they've teased some of the specs, but, look, we're not going to share them. Uh, they're available at the link. Um, we're going to hold off sharing until they've actually made something as opposed to sent a concept out into the world. But isn't that just great? Mm, mm, and it's just a sign of where things are going, isn't it? Like, because you, you kind of look at this and you go, you know, if you're going to put all this money into building these tankers, like, I get that that's, you know, that's a great business right now. But if if you're like talking right now about building electric tankers, which up to now, to now would run on the stuff that you're shipping, wouldn't it maybe better to take all those millions and millions of dollars that you're spending on that and invest that into, oh, I don't know, maybe building um, <laughs> <laughs> like other things that take electric power as well? You need to be but, putting you know, in it, saying putting that, like in cash. saying that, like look, these, like these car, these, you know, it won't just be oil tankers. Like if they do this right, 
there's going to be a lot of cargo hauling mm. ships that they'll be mm. able to do and all sorts of other things. But it's just, oh, it's just a bit bizarre that like the example they've chosen is an oil tanker. <laughs> well, that just looks like where the future of transport is. Well, speaking of the future of transport, groundbreaking all-electric plane is paving the way to greener aviation. Yeah, so we've covered electric planes in bits and pieces over the last couple of years. And and this is a news out of TechSport. So they've said that the world's largest all-electric plane has successfully completed a test flight. The first step in a long process, its developers say, will lead to an era of low-cost, pollution-free air travel. Yeah, so the Seattle-based electric motor manufacturer Magnix teamed with local airline Harbour Air to retrofit a Cessna Grand Caravan 208 with a 750 horsepower zero emissions motor and they conducted their first test over Moses Lake, Washington on Thursday. Uh, I don't know which Thursday. But yeah, the 37-foot caravan is one of the most popular medium-range commuter airliners in the world and it can carry up to nine passengers. So observers of the 30-minute test flight say they could barely hear any noise from the plane, and in fact, the much smaller the fuel engine powered Cessna chase plane accompanying the test plane made far more noise, they said. It's 100% right. I clicked on the link and I wanted to watch it and listen to this like electric plane whisping past. And all I could hear was the chase plane just being like, <laughs> it was just filth, man. Like, <laughs> you couldn't hear it. So, how dare it? The CEO, uh, Roy Gazans. Gonzalski, he said that, look, with no complex fuel engines, Electric generated planes will require less maintenance and they could be up to 80% less expensive per hour to operate than fuel engine planes. This means lower ticket prices and greater incentives for airlines to establish routes to smaller airports and less popular regions currently underserved by the airline giants. So there's a video of, at the link available if you want to go watch it take off and you want to listen to the uh, the chase plane. Um <laughs> Make a whole bunch of noise, but mate, look, everything's going electric. I love it. This is great. We're getting there. We're, we're basically watching like this is like the new version of the Wright brothers right now. You know, like they're effectively like working out how to stick a plane in the air with batteries instead of with fuel. So, mm -hmm. yeah, super cool. Speaking of super cool, I mean, it's kind. Of, we won't spend too long on this because everyone probably knows this already, but SpaceX. They they've they sent a rocket ship. It's basically the first commercial flight to successfully dock with the International Space Station. Yeah, and it's had astronauts on it as well. So after being delayed by bad weather, the Falcon 9 rocket, it lifted off from Florida and it was the first launch of astronauts into orbit by a private firm. Yeah, so NASA's, uh, it, it, NASA was involved in this as well uh, and it's their first human space flight from US soil in nearly a decade. And the first stage landed successfully on uh, the drone ship and then docked successfully with the, with the International Space Station. Mm, so successful mission. Crazy. Elon Musk isn't messing about. We're going to space, boys and girls. We're going to space, people. Soon the moon, then soon Mars. <laughs> Come on. That's it. Can't wait. And speaking of the moon, on the moon, astronaut P will be a hot commodity. Yeah, this is a really intriguing piece that came out of Wired, um, and it's a piece basically about the role that P will play. So um, it says that if astronauts are going to spend weeks at a time on the moon, they're going to have to figure out how to live off the land 
or uh, regolith as it is on the moon. So it's too expensive to ship everything from Earth, which means they'll have to get creative with the limited resources on the lunar surface. Moon dirt is a great building material and there's water in the form of ice at the South Pole that can be turned into rocket fuel. But the hottest commodity of everything may well turn out to be an astronaut's own pee. Earlier this year, a team of European researchers demonstrated that urea, the second most common compound in urine, human urine after water, can be mixed with moon dirt and used for construction. Uh, the resulting material is a geopolymer which has similar properties to concrete and could potentially be used to build landing pads, habitats and other structures on, on the moon. <laughs> so, so when this is mixed with water and certain reactive compounds, it creates a putty-like material uh, <laughs> that can be cast into direct shapes before it's left to dry. And on the moon, most infrastructure is likely going to build, be built by industrial 3D printers. Yeah, like building with bricks could be way too inefficient and it would limit the type of structures that you could actually build on the moon. But robotic 3D printers could autonomously build more complex habitats. Lunar regolith, which is this lunar stuff on the on the moon, um, it has chemical similarities to fly ash, which makes geopolymers an attractive option for building stuff on the moon. The downside is that they require a lot of water so that they'll flow through the nozzle of a 3D printer. Yeah, and water is very, very valuable on the lunar surface. Uh, according to Marlies Arnhoff, a member of the Advanced Concepts team at the European Space Agency and a co-author of the research. So he says it's so one of our main goals with the study was to reduce the amount of water necessary to produce a geopolymer. In the barren lunar environment, every drop of liquid matters. So whether it's used as a bit building material, a fertilizer or life support, it looks like P is going to have a big role to play as humans venture out into the solar system. Space travel has never seemed so glamorous. That's a great piece. <laughs> it's really just, good. It's just hard. It's just uplifting. You know, you're seeing oh, people protesting and the economy falling flat, but you know that if you just went outside and took a pee, you could be making the world a better place. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just, it's great for like all of the, you know, toilet humor enthusiasts amongst us. <laughs> like, it's just awesome. I'm, I'm super stoked. Oh, mate, what a what a lovely time to be alive. Yeah, yeah. There's so much cool stuff going on. Mm. I'm really liking this 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 new focus on cool things. <laughs> you know, it's great. Yeah. Wherever you join us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? You can find that on FOMO.show slash Telegram. Know someone who might enjoy this? Why not share it with them? You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. And on our YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, why not leave us a rating in your podcast player and subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO.
Got it. Cool, cool, cool. Got it. Oh, I might pour myself a little bit of whiskey, actually, before cool. we... Silver. Give me that silver. Yeah. It's small. Yeah. It's not huge, but you know that it's, it's weighty. And yeah, I, mean, it's, I feel like if you like if you hit someone in the head with it, from what I saw there, you, you'd, you'd do some damage. Mate, I'd be liable for some severe personal injury cases if they yeah. arose. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, so of course, cool. if you press it down on someone's neck and you know and happen to choke them out, you'd be completely fine. So <laughs> we went to a dark place very soon in the show. There, we probably need to cut that out. That, uh, backtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. I was uh, ordering dinner. <laughs> what did you get? Uh, you had a burger. Oh, I did, but I'm. That was just a, tight, a small burger to just prep okay. for my dinner. Just um, like a slider or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm getting a, a burger, a cheeseburger, some chips, some other stuff. Yeah, just uh, from from McDonald's. Mm, Hungry Jacks. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Twenty two. What are you using? Is that menu log? I'm using Uber Eats because they're now on Uber Ooh, Eats. Okay, right, okay. Very nice. That's awesome. Anyway. Yeah, and if you're uh, new to cryptocurrency and blockchain tech, you can check out our Blockchain Basics series, which covers the fundamentals. It starts from episode two and continues until episode eight. Uh, help you if you're listening to that because it's awful. <laughs> It's very fresh. We were very fresh. 